Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all this morning. It's a good day today, isn't it? Wonderful. Awesome. Well, we're glad that you're here. You look beautiful this morning. Thank you. I was waiting for that comment. Oh, man. I appreciate that. I don't say that just to get a response back, but it does help once in a while when that is being shouted out. I can't just hear it from my wife all the time. She's like, you look so great this morning. Yeah, I know, sweetie. So that's great to hear it. All right, well, if you've got your Bibles this morning, let's get into the Word, and we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1 here. And uh, just to lay a quick what we're going to be happening this morning, I'm going to take some time just to share a few things from the Word of God, and then we're going to just take a moment also just to share about what we've been working on the past eight months. I know we gave a quick announcement last week that we we're going to share with you just some things that have opportunities, things that have come across our path, and we're going to just take some time uh, to share that with you as well. So we're excited for today. So in Colossians chapter 1, we are just launching off here, and again, the Apostle Paul, his mandate, he had a calling of God, obviously, we know on his life, and it's crucial for us as New Testament believers that we really understand not only where Paul's coming from, but the message that he gave is a message for us today. It's not just a one-time thing where you hear about grace, and oh yeah, that's, that's great, and you know, it's really for those that are lost in the world. Grace takes over every area of your and my life. The moment you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, grace didn't stop there. Now grace is how you live your life in this kingdom. It's all been supplied to you. Everything God has is given to you as an act of his grace, and it's received by your and I, our dependency or our faith in him. Now in Colossians chapter 1, I want you to see here again just some of the words that the Apostle Paul used in the New Living Translation. In verse 24, he says this, I am glad... When I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Now, just to be clear, the sufferings that he's talking about is not physical sufferings. It's not talking about, you know, sickness or disease or poverty and those, those types of things. Jesus already took all of that for us. So the fight that you and I are now involved in, the fight of faith, is really not trying to get the victory, but it's to maintain the victory that Jesus obtained for us. Jesus already conquered it all. He got it for us. He gave it to you. Now you and I, the fight that we have is to hold on to what he did and don't allow the enemy to try to take it away from you and I. Right? Making sense? Okay. So verse 25, he says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Now, verse 26, he goes on to say, this message, what is the message? Come on, y'all, we got to get this. What is the message? The message of his grace was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now, everybody say, but now. It has been revealed to God's people. So this message of grace concerning everything Christ would do on your and my behalf has now been revealed to you and I living in today. Verse 27, for God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. So it's no longer just for the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. It's also now includes us. Say it, me. <laughs> That's good news. And this is the secret. Ready? You're probably already read it. Christ lives in you. When that dawns on you, no matter what comes your way, sickness tries to attack your body. Christ lives in me. The craziness of the world gets crazier. What do I have to remember? Christ lives in me. 
Everything grace provided, everything God provided is already a done deal. Because this gives you the assurance of sharing his glory, his deliverance, his freedom. Everything that's been provided, Christ lives in you. That's why you can partake and share in everything in his glory. It's a done deal. Verse 28, so we tell others about who? About the church? No, we introduce people to Christ first. Why? Because the church is messy. Why? Because we in it. <laughs> Why? The church is wonderful. Anything that anybody enjoy this church? Okay, the rest of you? <laughs> Just kidding. Anything you like, it's him. Anything you don't like, it's us. Amen. That's a loud amen on that one. Okay, that's moving forward. So what is our message? We tell others about Christ. Now I want you to see his wording. We warn everyone, teach everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. Why? Because we want to present them to God perfect, or other translations kind of say mature, in their relationship with Christ. So the whole part of you and I growing up in Christ, growing up, maturing as a believer, you cannot do it apart from Christ and the message of his grace. It's impossible. Oh, I just wish you would mature up. You know, mature a little bit more. I want you to grow up a little bit. How do you do that? It's in him. I grew up in him. I mature in him. It's all dependent upon my relationship with Christ. I can't just get mature doing some things outside naturally. There's a few things that you can glean off here and there. But full Christian maturity is my relationship with Christ. So the question is, how is your relationship with Christ this morning? That's the question. It's not my church attendance is great, wonderful, great. But how's your relationship with him? Because everything in this life is all about your relationship to him. Verse 29, then he says, that's why I work so hard. And he says, I even struggle so hard. He's not struggling in the sense of natural labor trying to get. I'm struggling in the sense of I'm learning to depend on God for everything concerning the churches. Depending, look at this, even the word, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So now you go now to Acts chapter 20, verse 32, a scripture we've gone over many times. Again, this is the Apostle Paul's final message to the leaders in Ephesus. I, I don't know, when you hear last words, you really want to perk up and hear what they got to say. Right? And these are his last words to the leaders of this church. They couldn't text back and forth. Hey, Paul, you in Rome yet? Like, none of that could happen. So in verse 32, now he says, and now I entrust you into God's hands and the message of his grace. Why, Paul? Because it's, a, it's all that you need to become strong. Ah, what is it? Understanding the message of grace. All of God's blessings, not part of them, not 99% of them, all of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace, which he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of his holy ones. So in the message of grace, you don't just find, oh, God is so kind and he's so great. Yeah, that's, that's included. But you also find out your spiritual inheritance. Everything that belongs to you because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Everything's been provided. So I don't know about you. When you're reading this New Testament, this last will New Testament of Jesus, you're not only reading the kindness of God, you're actually seeing what he's already provided for you that's made available through his death and resurrection. Taleo! The finished work, it is finished. And the moment he said that, the blessings of God, God is now able to love you without you being kind, you being good. He just gets to love you without any restraint. Wow. 
That's the good news. And so the church's response should be, Woo! Thank you. I'm going to dive into this message of grace and see what grace has provided because, again, grace is not a topic. Grace is a man. Jesus Christ full of grace and truth, John 1.17 tells us. Cool? All right, now, so again, Paul's job was to point, constantly point New Testament believers, not just in the early church, but also for the church all across the New Testament till we out of here. What is Paul's job? Every writing that you see, he's always trying to point the New Testament church to God's unchanging stance towards you and I. And what's his stance? Grace. This is God's stance towards you. He doesn't have a wooden spoon looking to spank you. He doesn't have anger in his eyes. He looks at you with deep love because the sacrifice for your and my sin has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus. So he looks at you now and he goes, son, daughter, grace unto you, peace unto you. Everything heaven has belongs to you. Oh, but I've been a real jerk this past week. It's not about your performance. It's about what Jesus did on your behalf. Well, that's hard to believe. Then you really need to come to this realization and understand the worth of Jesus. When you understand the worth of Jesus, all of that stuff of self-righteousness just goes away because there's nothing that you could do that could ever satisfy the mind of God towards you by your good works. It's impossible. Okay. So now a win, I believe the Apostle Paul is even revealing to us, a win in the kingdom is for a New Testament believer to see what grace has done and totally rely on the grace of God and now see it manifest in their life. That's a win, is to wean people off of the systems naturally and learn to lean on your invisible father. That's a win. That's what the church, that's what discipleship is all about. It's not just, okay, we got to disciple people so that now they are totally depending on you for everything. There's a season for that. We had babies, and sometimes what do you do? You, you grow babies up. You help them grow up. You, you breastfeed them. You take care of You do all those types of things, right? Okay. And what happens eventually, they start weaning off and you start giving them other types of foods. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. You work, you come close to people, but the goal is, is to wean them on to what Christ has done. To wean them on to the word so they can see the word for themselves. That's a win in the kingdom. Okay. So grace says, everything that you need, I've provided. So now there is also my part. And what's my part? I have to allow the message of grace access into my life to shape the way that I think. That's the whole message of the New Testament church that Paul's pointing to. He's saying God's, his stance towards you has not changed. What needs to change is the way you view, the way you think about him. So you see that all through the New Testament. What is he trying to do? Brainwash you. Why? Because the world has already. We have to unlearn a bunch of stuff, how the world or even religion has taught us, and we have to now learn to think, Heavenly Father, towards me as a son or towards you as a daughter, I have to see God that way. And that's Paul's message the entire time. He's like, I'm working with all of Christ's energy in me to show you, to reveal to you what Jesus has done on your behalf. So what's God's part? He's provided it all. What's my part now? is to now allow the images of grace, what it's done on my behalf, to now overtake and start, I start thinking that way. So he's got access. Okay. So now in Titus chapter 2, 
This is where we were last week. And I want to continue in here talking about the school of grace. So not only has grace provided everything you need concerning your life, naturally speaking, mentally speaking, financially speaking, body-wise, everything. Just think about anything. Spiritually speaking, it's all been done by the grace of God. Not only has God taken care of that, but now he wants to train you once you came out of the kingdom of darkness in this slave market, and now you come into the kingdom of God's dear son, grace is here to teach you how to operate in grace kingdom. How do I operate? It's the same like if you were to go to any other country today, you don't go all of a sudden to a nation in Africa, say, and start living by Canadian rules. Why? They are governed differently there. I don't have anybody watching the World Cup Qatar. You don't go to Qatar with your own ideas and agenda. Mm-mm-mm. Why they got their own standards and ways of doing things. So if you go in there, well, this is how we do it in Canada. You're going to get hurt. Somebody going to get hurt real bad. (laughs) So what do you have to do? You have to learn to adjust to the standards, the rules, the regulations of that nation. Well, the same way here. It's why is the frustration in the, in the church world is because church folk are trying to live in this new kingdom thinking like the world. Well, God, that's not how we do it. And you're trying to tell God how it's supposed to be done. And he says, whoa, 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 son, which, which kingdom are you in? Wait, remember, it's a kingdom. He's the king of this domain. What he says goes. So my job is not to try to change the kingdom. My job is to adjust to the kingdom mentality, adjust to the culture of heaven. And if I, there's some things that don't line up with my theology, guess what's going to change? The Bible? Me. And that's why you're never going to see in four years there's going to be a vote to see if we need a new king in heaven. In a million years from now, we're not going to have this sign, make heaven great again. (laughs) Vote for somebody. No, it's King Jesus and he is perfect in all of his ways. So what do we do? We adjust to him. (laughs) Okay. Now, God's marvelous grace. Who is that? Come on, it's the J word. Jesus. God's marvelous grace was manifested in person, bringing salvation to everyone. Now, everyone who received this salvation accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Notice what this same grace does in verse 12. It says, now this same grace, not only did it save you from your eternal damnation to hell, but not only did it save you, but now this same grace is also going to teach you and I How to live each day. Anybody need help for living November 27th, 2022? Lord, help me. How to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it's now going to teach you or equip you and I to live self-controlled, upright, godly living in this present age. Goes on to say, for we continue... Again, church, this is your and I call. We continue to look forward to the joyful fulfillment of our hope and the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what are we looking forward to? Jesus coming back. What's the next big event for the church? Jesus coming back. What's the church getting ready for? Jesus coming back. Now. (laughs) So again, you have to show up to class. And you show up to class. What does Mr. Grace want to teach you? 
He wants to teach you, verse 12 says, to deny ungodliness. Another way of saying denying ungodliness is simply saying learning how to depend on God. Ungodly just simply means when you have ungodly, there's no regard for God. And we would look at the world and say, it's ungodly. True. But let's define what it actually is. There's no regard, respect for God. There's no dependency on him at all. And hence the mess that we're in. But not only is it we say that's in the world, but it also creeps up in the church. Any time that you and I do not depend on God, that's ungodly. No matter what we do, if there's any facet of our life that we are not depending on God, leaning on God for, it's actually called ungodliness. And eventually over time, ungodliness leads, verse 12 again, it leads to wicked acts or perverted things. So don't just think ungodliness is the perversion and just the the fruits of it. Yeah, that's true. It is all ungodly. But look at the root of it. It is no regard for him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that in the church at all. I want complete regard for God that God, you got to say in everything that we do. Do you like this? And the question is, did you enjoy the the worship today? You shouldn't even have an answer. Why? Because we weren't worshiping you. We should go, Lord, did you enjoy that today? Lord, did you enjoy the message today? That's what we're doing it for, right? Because the moment we start doing it here, we're just building a nice religious little cult. Here we all just come together, do our little thing. No, it's all for him. Anyways, let's get back on track here, Joel. Okay. So as we said, I want to just touch base on this, but make sure you don't let Mr. Religion as a substitute teacher come in and try to teach you. A lot of self-righteous mindsets, a lot of self-righteous works, Mr. Religion will always point to you and what you're not doing, what you need to do better at. So you got to make sure keep that lousy substitute teacher outside the door. And again, how do you know? Condemnation is there. Guilt and shame is always present. And the moment you start hearing that, you got to go, Mr. Religion just showed up in the house. Get him out. Don't close your ears. Shut it off. Put it down. Why? Because Mr. Religion, if you allow him to teach you, you're going to have to get Mr. Grace to come back in here and you're going to have to unlearn a bunch of stuff. Why? Because grace and religion don't work hand in hand. So now, how do I know it's grace again? Mr. Grace speaking to us. He will always point to the finished works of Jesus. Oh, but Lord, I messed up. Look what my son Jesus did. And so what he wants to do is he wants to frame the way that you think rather than trying to change the way that you live. When you see, think like what Jesus has done, when you see what Jesus has done, allowed it to change the way that you think, it'll change the way that you live. That's how grace operates from the inside out, not outside in. Okay? All right. Now, going back to our original design, grace is going to teach us to depend on God. So again, Mr. Grace, what are you teaching us? And he'll say, wow, I'm going to teach you how to depend on God. What does that mean? I'm taking you back to your roots. I'm taking you back to creation. Day six of when creation was gathered and formed, you, Adam and Eve, they depended on God for everything. God placed them in the garden. God got all the trees. God got all the fruit. God got all the animals. And he brought them to the man. Who did it? God. Adam and Eve were completely dependent on God. And not only that, Adam, do you think he went looking for a wife? No, what did God do? He knocked him out. (laughs) Took a rib out of him and said, bam. And Adam went, woo, man. 
He got excited. Who provided? God did. Everything Adam and Eve had needed, they did, God did it all. So what God is getting you and I to do is to get back to this place of sweet dependency upon him. This is what grace came to teach us is going back to the same sweet spot that we were in the garden of complete dependency on him. And remember the sad news in Genesis chapter 3, you see what happened, the fall of man. And at that moment, what we said to God is, I can get what I need. I can get what I'm looking for apart from you. And the moment that mindset came into this planet, the planet hasn't been the same since. So we asked the question, why is mankind in such a mess? Well, there's one of two reasons. Number one, we have an enemy. He's out here, Satan, steal, kill, and to destroy. He can't get to God, so he, gets what, he goes after what God loves most. And who's that? People. He hates people with a passion. Why? Because God loves them with a passion. The other reason now we see is because people are trying to meet their own needs apart from God, making themselves God. I'm my own source. I can get what I need. I can get what I need in my marriage. I can make it work. I can make my kids listen to me. Really? How's that going out for you? I can make my house, I can make my house pay. I can make that work. I got my own job. I worked hard. I pulled myself up by my own booster. I make it work. I can do it. I can do it. Really? Over so long. And what happens? You see a lot of people are just dying out of stress. Why? They're trying to be their own God. So we see from the beginning of Adam going into with Adam and Eve and the, that fall, what did it come? Disaster came. And the first thing that we actually see is a family feud. Cain killing Abel. And it hasn't been the same ever since. So what grace came here to do, not only just to save you, but how to live now completely dependent upon your source again. So a question I have to ask myself is, am I depending on God? Am I? Truly, am I truly depending on God? Not just for the big hard stuff. I'm talking about even for, Lord, I'm feeling a little moody today. I need some help on this. Anybody woke up a little moody this morning? <laughs> Nobody's putting up their hands. I just see a few nods. Somebody's pointing at their husband. Yeah, okay, all right now, all right. <laughs> so what do I do? I'm just going to be grumpy. No, I found this is to be a really helpful prayer. Lord, help me. My kids are a little bit mm today. Wife didn't like my outfit today. I'm a little mm. Help me. You know, uh, we had a, a gentleman that we had at our retreat. One thing that he just said that really helped us. He said, God is not offended by your humanity. And I just love that statement. I thought, man, that is so helpful. Rather we think, okay, I just, I just, sorry, Lord, my attitude's, I'm just, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. No, no, no. He's not offended with your humanity. As long as we continue to go to him, Lord, help me with this. He loves to be depended on more than anything else. It actually sees that in Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, without depending on God, it's impossible to please him. God loves to be depended on. He loves it, loves it, loves it. In fact, that's the whole currency in the kingdom. I have received up to this point in my life what I've depended on God for. Anything that I try to make work hasn't worked. Why? Because I'm trying to make it in my own might. Now, that's, I'm getting out of my spot here. But let's, let's look here. Depending on God. Last week, we found a couple we found a couple in the Bible that God was able to use because they had this ingredient about them that they would depend on God. And in Genesis, or sorry, Romans chapter 4, 18 through 21, I want to just read these verses to us again. This couple was Abraham and Sarah. 
Were they perfect? Did they do things perfect? Did they even try to make God's promise? Did they try to do it on their own? Yes. That's how you get an Ishmael. Do you want Ishmael? No. We don't want the Ishmael. What does that mean? I don't want to try to make God's promise happen in my life. So what do I do? I I don't try to make it work. And that's what Abraham and Sarah try to do. If you read the story, you can find that account. Genesis 12 through 21. It's all beautifully written in there. But what happened is Sarah looking at her body. I'm too old. Abraham looking at her body. Yeah, you're too old. I I don't know. So then Sarah says, "Here's here's my maidservant, Hagar. Sleep with her and have a child with her. And then that boy can be the heir of everything you got. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to make God's promise come to pass in their life. Was that God's plan? No. No. And we'll get into this next week. But again, we talk about a set time. You see over and over in throughout the Bible, at the set time God came. At the set time God. Why did God wait till Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90? Like, Lord, why couldn't you do that when they were 20 and 30? Because God wants you and I to realize that it's him and it's only him that makes it come to pass in your and my life. That's why I believe God is going to put some of you in some of these situations where all you got is your dependency on God. Oh, Lord, how how is this going to happen? You aren't going to figure it out. Meanwhile, we're trying to go, man, I got to make this. I go, no, Lord, you promised me this. How come I'm not seeing? And you're trying to make it work. And you forgot about the set time. God's all about time. He's got a clock. He's got an agenda. And the moment I try fitting God into my agenda, frustration is breeded from that. Because I'm expecting God to do this. God, it's 2023 coming up here. You said a few things. By, I, well, you said, I said that you're going to finish a few things by December 31st of this year. And I haven't seen it yet. Oh, so we're going on your calendar now, are we? That's a dangerous spot to be in. Okay, moving forward. Let me just read this. In verse 18, he says, Against all odds... When it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected, or in other words, if expected, we said, depended on God. Right? Can we say that together? Depending on God. Abraham depended on God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Don't you believe there's some things God has spoken over you from the beginning of this world, before the foundation of this world, and he wants it to come to pass. How? By you depending on him, not by you trying to figure it out how to do it. The reason, like, listen, this is just before Genesis 12, Genesis 11 is just prior to that. At the Tower of Babel, what did they say at the Babel? Let us make a name for ourselves. We'll be big and we'll build a tower like this. And then God wasn't interested in that at all. So he confused the languages. Then one chapter over, he, what did he tell Abraham? I will make you big. I will make you famous. And not in the famous in the sense of glamour Hollywood that we have today. He making, I'm going to make you great. Your inheritance, the call of God on your life. I'm going to make you great. How? By Abraham depending on him. And this is what came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. Guess what you are? You're one of those descendants. in spite of being nearly 100 years old when the promise of having a son was made his faith or his dependency upon God was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child he never stopped 
depending on God's promise. For, God, for he was made strong in his dependency upon God to father a child. And because he was mighty in his dependence upon God and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill this promise, Abraham glorified God. What glorifies God? Dependency upon him. Not me trying to make his promise come to pass in my life. He likes it when I'm absolutely helpless and I can't do nothing except for I lean on you. Now, I want you to look at a couple other verses here in Hebrews chapter 11. But God chose to carry out his plan for the lives of Abraham and Sarah because, I want you to see this, they chose to depend on God. The first thing I want you and I to see is that dependency upon God is a choice. You can choose to depend on whatever you want. You can trust the government if you want. I don't. You can trust your paycheck if you I, I don't. That's not where I'm going to go. I won't be able to sing this song. I put my faith in paychecks. They'll never let me down until it runs out. I don't, I'm not singing that way. I put my faith in Ottawa. It'll never let me down. That's why we don't sing those songs. <laughs> now listen to how this couple operate. I want to just give you a little glimpse of the, this couple. Man, I can't wait to meet them. Abraham, thank you. And the whole reason Jesus came was because Abraham depended on God. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar. Say with me, leaving the familiar. To discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with what? He left with only a promise? Well, he didn't have billions of dollars in his bank account. How, how, how did you do that? Dependent on God. What did he need? A promise. What do you need? Y'all, church, this is, this is a question. What do you need? I need a promise. The moment I find a promise in this word, that's all you and I should need to hold on to it, everything we got, and allow the Lord to make it come to pass in your life. Lord, you said by your stripes, you said that. So what do I do? I don't try to figure out how it's going to get done. He's going to do it. So what do I do? I keep my dependency strong. How do I do that? I keep feeding on the word. Keep seeing the promises of God. Keeping my eyes fixed on it regularly. God's job is to get the job done. Okay. Abraham stepped out in his dependency upon God. I believe this is what God is waiting for his church to do. Step out in your dependency upon me. Look at this, verse 10. I love this verse. His eyes of faith. Say with me, eyes of faith. We can say his eyes of his dependency upon God. Your faith or your dependency upon God causes you to see a lot different from what everybody else is seeing. Why? People talk doom and gloom and you're talking Jesus to all the glory be forevermore, amen. How do you do that? This is the spirit of faith. I believed in what he said, and I'm totally dependent that he will carry it out. So when I believe that with all my heart, I speak differently. I believe, therefore I speak. I depend, therefore I speak. The world says, man, it's tough out there. I don't know how you're going to make ends meet. I don't know how you're going to pay for this. My God says, he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And people look at you and go, you're from another world. You say, that's right, I am. You think crazy. That's right, I do. Actually, in fact, you're the crazy one. I got a promise. 
I have a God. And will he fail me? He won't. He won't fail. He doesn't know how to fail. So what does he need? He needs your and I cooperation by depending on him. Look at this, verse 11. I love this verse. Sarah's faith. Not only was it Abraham, but it was Sarah. She had to carry the baby for nine months and then deliver it. Ninety. Any 90-year-olds in the house thinking about that? Oma, are you thinking? Any? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Why? This was the call. Anyway, Sarah's faith or her dependence upon God, what did it do? Yeah, well, come on, see this. Her faith, her dependency upon God, what did it do? It embraced God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her dependency upon God rested in the one who made the promise and she tapped into his faithfulness. Now I want to just read you, this came out of an Aramaic side. She gave her dependency on God authority over her life. This is what her dependency did. Her dependence upon God, she took that and said, you now, my faith in this, you have authority over my life. Rather than 90-year-old, eggs are dead, Abraham's sperm dead, nothing's working, nothing magical happened in the tent. And all of a sudden, the authority of her faith, she said, all right, Lord, that's what you said. She allowed that word to have complete authority over her life. And I tell you, that tent was working that night. And all of a sudden, they're pregnant. Could you imagine Abraham saying, I'm a father of many nations. I'm a father of many nations. I'm a father of many nations. And people going, you're crazy. You're an idiot. No chance. Get a new wife. All of these things out there. And all of a sudden, he walks out and says, she's pregnant. What did Abraham and Sarah have to do with anything? Nothing. What did they do? Depended on God. And it all worked out. That's what God is looking for, his church. Jesus even said, in the last days, will I find faith? He's not just saying, what is he asking? Will I find people dependent on me? Yes, you will. Right here. This church, we depend on you. For what? Everything. We depend on you for the gifts of the Spirit. We depend on you for miraculously doing what you want to do. For those that want to speak in that, Lord, we depend, we depend, we depend. So what's my job in all this? Try to make something work? Try to make you feel some goosebumps once in a while? No, it's him, him, him. And that was Paul's message to the church in the New Testament is the grace of God is the message. We have to understand the message because when you get the message, the experience comes after. So focus on getting the message, changing the way that you think. Okay, now as we said, I got a few minutes here. She gave her dependency on the authority over her life. I love this. But I want, I finished off with this last week, but I want to touch it again. But God's integrity is on the line. It's not yours. It's his. He wrote the New Testament. He wrote this book. So for, it, for him, it's all on him. If it's going to happen, guess whose job it is? His. Not yours. Not mine. And you and I, we are fighting, debating, trying to show and prove that the Bible's true. Just speak the truth and where the tree falls, let it land. People don't like it? Okay. But it's his job to back it up and make it apply in your life. Who cares? 
Who cares? So what do I do in the meantime? If I'm going to, if I'm going to, learn how to depend on God. I believe the first place that I would start is I really need to look at the nature of God and really understand where, I, where he's coming from so it becomes easier to depend. You can't depend on a God that's not faithful. You wouldn't. You even trust even in the relationships. Jamie and I, why is our marriage great? It's because there's mutual trust. I trust her. She trusts me. That's how relationship works. And it's like we're trying to bypass that when it comes to God. No, he's not offended in you growing in your trust in him. But make sure you're doing that. Because he wants to teach you and I to learn how to depend on him. Are we 100% there yet? No. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Are we using all of our heart? No. There's a part of us that still goes, yeah, but Lord, this just seems real difficult. And God's not going, you bunch of sorry, no good. No. He's saying, will you allow my grace in to show you that you can trust me? Of course. But don't just stand going, well, you know, I haven't seen anything yet. That's on you. If you're going to just live on CNN, your stuff is going to be a wreck. And whose fault is that? Well, God, you have to give him the space to show. You're going to have to allow the message of grace to imprint on your brain to change the way that you think. So look here at Luke chapter 12. I believe this is Jesus' point of his ministry as well was to get people off of this religious system where you have to perform, perform, perform and start learning to relax and trust in what he's doing. Jesus taught his disciples. He's saying to you and I this morning, listen to who? Listen to me. Never let anxiety enter your hearts. That's a command. Yes, sir. Well, how do I have, how do I do that? Learn to depend on him. Well, I'm just anxious about this. That means you're not depending on him. You can't be anxious and dependent at the same time. It's impossible. He goes on to say, never worry about any of your needs. (laughs) Can we read that together? Never worry about any of your needs. Any means any. And then he says, example, food. Or clothing. And he goes on to say, for your life is infinitely more than just food or clothing that you wear. Does any, or sorry, verse 24, take the carefree birds as your example. So I really encourage you, I did this this past week, I actually spent some time looking at a bird. And you know what I did not see that bird do? <laughs> it's winter, it's freezing, how can I get food? It never did that. What did it do? Do you ever see them freak out? No. They don't grow their own food and they don't even have a pantry to put it in. I looked at the bird. I tried to follow it as much as I could. I couldn't find its home. It didn't look like he had a, a pantry anywhere. There was nothing set up. He didn't have a superstore he could go into. He's not freaking out. So what yet? Yet God takes care of every, not just a few of them in Red Deer, every one of them. Even the ones that are on the other side of the world. Feeding each of them from his love and his goodness. Now here's a question that you and I have to answer. Is your life more precious to God than a bird? Y'all answer the question. 
Yes. If so, then you have to learn to be carefree. Where? In the care of God. So that's why, that's why God didn't say, or Jesus say, look at the zebras, because we don't got a bunch of them around here. He said, look at birds, because they're literally everywhere. And what are they doing? I have not seen a freaked out bird yet. Anybody seen a freaked out bird? Oh, no, because they're not freaking out, because your heavenly father feeds them. I know this sounds so simple, but this is where your faith begins. I am more important than a bird. Every time I drive past birds now once in a while, I would just go, hey, there's a, I'm more important than you. Have a great day. <laughs> you need to tell yourself that. Verse 25, does worry add anything to your life? No. Can it add one more year or even a day? No. So he says, so if worrying adds nothing, but actually it subtracts from your life, why would you worry about God's care for you? Think about the lilies. Okay, everybody got a lily in their mind? They grow and they become beautiful. Not because, let's say it with me, not because they work hard or strive to clothe themselves. Now, you've got some plants in your house or whatever. Do you see them working so hard to try to put some clothes on themselves? No, I've never seen a plant freak out. Yet even Solomon, wearing all of his kingly garments of splendor, could not be compared to a field of lilies. Verse 28. If God can clothe the fields and meadows with grass and flowers, can't he clothe you as well? Then notice this word. Oh, struggling one with so many doubts. Struggling one. Struggling one with fear, anxiety. Struggling one. Are you, is your life not more important than a bird? Are you not more precious than a lily in a field? Come on. Jesus is going, struggling one. Who's this, who is he talking to? Struggling ones. Do you not see this? You're looking all out there and all the chaos that's out there. Look up. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the fields. Look at the lilies. Look at the birds. None of them are freaking out. Why? They're in their design of how God created them. The birds are in their proper, in the, in the kingdom that they're operating in. They're operating properly. They depend on God. The grass kingdom, if there is such a thing. Grass kingdom, what are they doing? It depends on God. Right now it's brown under snow. <laughs> but guess when spring comes around, what do they do? Green again. What is it doing? It's depending on God to take care of it. Where is mankind missing it? I can't depend on God. That's the problem. So this is what Jesus is saying, struggling ones with so many doubts. Stop it. Verse 29, he says, I repeat it again. Don't let worry enter your life. Live above the anxious cares for your personal needs. How? By depending on him. Verse 30, people everywhere seem to worry about making a living, but your heavenly father knows your every need. Who's heavenly father? Mine. Jesus is revealing that. Your heavenly father. Yours. Not just mine. Yours. Your heavenly father knows every need and he will take care of you. He will take care of you. He won't fail. He will take care of you. 
Then verse 31, each and every day, he will supply your needs as you seek his kingdom. What does that mean? That means I'm not seeking how to get things. I'm seeking him and he is adding it to my supply. Verse 32, so don't ever be afraid, dearest friends. Your, 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 my loving father joyously gives me his kingdom realm with all of his promises. What's Jesus trying to do? Trying to cut the ties to this natural world that you and I are living in and to start clicking again and reconnecting to where we were always supposed to be under his care, under his wings of protection, under everything that we would need. He would supply it all. When in in, um, the Hebrews, when they were walking through the wilderness and God would feed them manna per day, And God only told him, I only want you to take enough for the day. Why? Because I want you to trust me for every single day. And did you know when God supplied manna, did you know from a historical standpoint that the amount of manna that was deposited every single day for the Israelites was enough to feed every single one of them for 3,000 years? That's how much manna it was. And yet God says, just take it up for today. What do you do? Well, the rest just evaporated. And what happened the next day? Another 3,000 years worth for people to take care of. Every single day for 40 years. Is God in short supply? No. So what are we doing? And that's why Jesus is saying, oh, struggling ones. God can take care of the Israelites for 40 years in a desert? Oh, we want meat. In there complaining. So what did God do? He threw quail at them. I'm thirsty. Slapped a rock. Water comes out of a rock. How do you do that? He's God. Stop boxing him in. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. So Jesus is now pulling you and I away from this world system and getting you and I connected back to this kingdom that he wants us to operate in, which is completely depending on him. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by our dependence upon him, not by what I see. So if I'm living based on how I'm seeing, I'm not depending on him. Now, last verse, and then I'm finished up here. But Psalm 37, verse 3, he says this, Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God. Not on the scarcity of the world, not on the lack that we see regularly, but on the heart or the promises of God. And he says, you will be secure feasting on his faithfulness. So what do I need? I just need a promise. I don't need a bunch of promises. I just need one and I'm going to eat it. I'm going to see myself in it. I'm going to feast, 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 feast. Like the Grinch. And what do they do? They feast and they feast and they feast, feast, feast. I believe the church needs to have a little bit of a feast. And what are we feasting on? What he said. Until what? Until I see it in my brain and I go, oh, I see it. That's what he said. That's what he promised me. And you get excited about that. Why? Because it's no longer just head information. It's now revealed to you on the inside. And that's how this kingdom expands and grows in your and my life. I see it, God. I see it. I see it. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Oh, God, I finally get it. And he goes, now you got it. Now nothing can take that revelation away from you. Jesus even said the gates of hell will not prevail against the revelation knowledge. 
Hell can tell you anything it wants. The world can tell you anything it wants. But when you have the revelation from heaven of how good, how kind, and how gracious he is, you're eating his faithfulness. No one, no demon can take it away from you. And what are you? You're standing on this rock. And you could be one of those people that joyously jump up and down and say, He won't! He won't fail! How do you know that? Because I've experienced it firsthand. Here's my story. Here's what God did in my life. I lost this. God restored it. He gave me the revelation. I see His love. And His love has provided everything that I'll ever need in my life. That's how we in this kingdom operate and live by. Amen? Ah, I'm done. Is that good? You okay? All right.